Good morning. Um, well done for making it in. You've got the uh, privileged seats. I think you've either picked this panel, uh, this session, because it's the most important one at Sheffield, or because you worked out that this has the best air conditioning um, in the whole place. I've reorganised my whole schedule now to be in here most of the day if I can. Um, we're going to be talking about the business of digital, which is what you can see on the screen right now. Um, the way we're doing this is basically we wanted to sort of uh, bust a few myths about what people are saying about making money. Uh, in the world of digital, um, and we've got a, a, a great lineup. So we've got um, Shana Jackson, who you probably know from, from Hopster, who jumped in at the 11th hour to help out. Uh, Darren Garrett, who's from Popagami. Chris Kempt, now I've got to get this right because he, I knew him as of being of Kempt, but he's now um, Burke and Best. Yes. That's the other half of your business. So you have two, two businesses. Uh, and Nick Gorn from E1. Uh, family entertainment. The way we're going to do this is we're going to uh, bring up some of the um, overheard complaints around the digital business um, that we come across quite a lot of the time and then get the panel to sort of deconstruct some of these and, and either come up, you know, is this really the state of affairs? Is it as bad as people moan about? Or is actually there's a lot more going on and there are better ways to be making a business out of digital? So the first slide in the business of digital is the uh, commonly uh, held view that it's impossible to make any money in an app, uh, in the app store, without using in-app purchase. So we'll, we're going to sort of explore quite a bit about in-app purchase. Um, Nick, do you want to start with this one? I will start with this one. And explain who you, your, your role at E1. Okay, so I work in business development at E1. Um, E1... Uh, co-produces, distributes and brand managers family brands like Peppa Pig, Ben and Holly's Little Kingdom and a, a kind of slate of forthcoming projects. So, um, and it's, I always have to kind of take Peppa Pig out of the mix here because it's such a, a kind of behemoth and everything I'm saying is not necessarily related to Peppa Pig because Peppa Pig breaks the rules in the digital space in the app store. So it's worth kind of getting that up front. So, so if you don't have Be Peppa Pig, is it impossible to make any money in the app store? <laughs> I, I, so we w our policy, we're in the preschool space primarily, so our policy is to either have free apps or paid for apps with no advertising. So um, yes, we definitely think it is possible to make money in the app store um, with, with kind of paid apps. Um, but I do think kind of preschool is slightly different. I think, in, I think you have to look at who's making the buying decision. So for preschoolers... Uh, or kind of five and below, I guess. The parents are curating the choice of apps that the kids play. The parents are having a lot of choice in terms of what they're going to buy. So they might want the kids to be playing kind of soft education, curriculum, or entertainment apps. So the parents are actually the decision maker. As you get older, the kids are curating their own app play. Um, and they're less likely to want to go to the parents to ask them to spend money on the apps. So they look for free apps and they start kind of playing the free apps. And then the, the decision for the parents changes. So the parents often in the kind of beyond preschool space look for a trusted brand or a, uh, evidence that, the, that, the, that they, the kid is actually going to use the, or sp spend the money properly. So I think in preschool it definitely is possible to make money in the app store on paid apps, it gets difficult as you get older. That's my feeling. Chris, you do your own apps. Yeah. Do you, do you echo that? 
<laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I mean, so I suppose the most relevant stuff. So within my Kempt context, um, so you know, over the last three or four years, Kempt produced a series of five games, all uh, all based around one central IP. Um, IP. Um, and the, deliberately, we tried to. Well, we we deliberately designed the project around. Um, trying out different business models. So uh, there was a f uh, purely free and ad-funded title. There was one with um, which was designed to be more of a classic free-to-play game, a premium game, uh, and then the last in the series, which we've only just released, um, is a very soft free-to-play model. But basically, it's a slightly more complex. We're planning to flip that between free and premium. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, coming back to the question, yeah, it's absolutely possible to make money without our IAP. Um, but fundamentally, what it does is put a cap on how much money you can make. Um, that's essentially the the big difference. So, so when you're looking at the kind of you know the the stuff that everybody looks at and sees in the top grossing charts, the vast majority of that stuff, uh, you know, is kind of well, probably multi-million dollar production budgets with multi-million dollar marketing budgets attached to it as well. But as a result, it's making hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, um, whereas you know, if you want to run a premium strategy, I don't know what Nick's probably better <laughs> place to comment on this than me, but I would imagine it puts a kind of 10 million cap. You're not going to get any higher than that. And frankly, if you get to that 10 million, you're doing bloody well. <laughs> um, uh, so, just unpack that for a bit. The everyone looks at the sort of the highest grossing app. Yeah, and none of us know actually. How much you have to make to be a highest grossing app in category? Yeah. Have you got? What's yeah, your well, I mean, Candy Crush Saga famously is making something like uh, seventy million dollars dollars a day, something like that. Um, and in, but in the kids in the kids sections of apps, you don't need to be. No, shifting. I mean, you have the kind of breakout successes like Adventure Time, uh, Card. Oh, what is it? Card Wars. That's the one. Yeah, um, and I think <coughs> that's making in the region of. Uh, Ten thousand dollars a day, something like that, at the moment, um, and it hit the top ten grossing charts. So you know that's again another good example. I mean, it's got an amazing IP attached to it, right? So you know, back to Nick does, again. Do those sort of figures <laughs> ring true with what you see? Because bearing in mind you do have one of the best-selling, biggest blockbusting brands in the app space. It's difficult. It, it, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to say. I, th I think. Um, if I look at our whole consumer products range of goods, I wouldn't say that apps is one of our bigger categories. I'd still say it's quite far behind publishing and toys. So it's not, it's not for us, it's not the kind of, it doesn't move the dial. But then we have a, you know, we develop a relationship with our audience, with the parents, and what we don't want to do is pepper them with apps. What we don't want to do is pepper the, ads with pepper the apps with advertising. Keep using the word pepper unintentionally. It's <laughs> kind of ingrained in me now. Um, so we, we, pepper school. There, are, there are many ways we could make a lot more money, but we feel that kind of breaks the trust that we have with, the, with our parents. Yeah, and I think, it, I think it, especially in preschool, you're creating stuff for preschoolers, that you need that trust. Hmm. And we have uh, companies like Tucker Blocker who charge... They charge a, a fixed price point of one ninety nine, I think, per app, and it's not much money. And I think it, when you spend that money, you know what you're going to get, and you know that it's going to be a safe experience to pass to your kid. So I work at Hopster. It's a TV and learning platform for children aged two to six, and so we have um, we don't have Peppa Pig, but we do have Ben and Holly, 
from Nick, um, along with other shows like Louie and Thomas Tank Engine and other stuff from HIP. And what we do is um, create learning experiences um, from the TV shows that we have. So we use TV as a starting point to do some exploration and learning. And for us, it's, it's super important to keep um, a really clear and fixed price point. So we, we have a subscription model. But your subscription, yeah. yeah. We're mm. a subscription do, do you, you know, obviously you're, you're also building a sort of a portfolio yeah. with, with Hoxha. But is, mm. do you think there's a sense that in-app is actually now sort of damaging re reputation of brands? Is that, particularly in the preschool space, I think, I think you know, do parents now go, oh God, not on not, not app within that purchase? I think like, this is just me talking, but honestly, I think it was, it was a big hot topic maybe a couple of years ago. Um, and I still think people are looking at interesting, well, there, there, are, there are ways in which you could do this. And I don't think, I still don't believe it's the right thing to do for preschool audiences, but there are, there are ways, there are, there are, there, I think there are ways that we could do in-app purchases that are sensible for a slightly older audience. For older but audience. it needs some research and thinking. I think it depends on the value proposition of the actual purchase. So if it's an in-app purchase and so you get five mini games free and there's an in-app purchase to get the next game, then there's actually very much a kind of, you know, it, it, the, the, the amount you're spending makes sense. But if it's an in-app purchase to jump ahead in a game yeah. Yeah. or to yeah. get more kind of lives yeah. or levels, then I think it's difficult. And our view is very much the kind of, it's the, the user experience of the, of the preschooler who plays the game is, is absolutely important. And you can't you can't have a, an experience where it keeps stopping to, you know, it's easy to get out of the game. It's, you know, they're pushed into a place where, oh, what do I do now, mummy? What do I do now, yeah, daddy? Exactly. They, need, they need to have that kind of purity of experience that they have in the kind of, in the physical world. And yeah, I, I guess I was thinking if you were to do it for an older audience, yeah, it would be like an extra story nugget or something, yeah. something that was discreet that fitted into the world. I think that would be a fine in-app purchase, but you're exactly right. And not to shame anybody, but was it Playmobil, shaming Playmobil, but they had, a, <laughs> they had an in-app purchase for like £70. Pounds. Yeah. And it's just like, that's, that's nuts. Well, we've been doing some stuff with, with kids for one of the other sessions tomorrow, and uh, The Simpsons gets quoted a lot mm. about, you know, how much you have to spend to get extra donuts to do extra stuff. And, mm. you know, when kids are starting to single out apps because they don't like the in-app purchase, you know, you've sort of, mm. you know, it started to become part of the vernacular. Darren, you... you Fine, I think that's just, you know, ties into what Nick's saying, it's a really simple thing. If you've got a brand that you're trying to build trust with and then you dump a £75 in-app purchase in it, yeah. that to me is like, how does that get through? Because that is an ultimate betrayal of trust of your, of your brand. You're trying to sell something to, you know, kids for that, that kind of price that doesn't have a real tangible value, you know. Um, <laughs> And I think the thing is, you know, the, the grinding mechanics that are often associated with in-app, you know, products is, you know, in-app purchases is much more diverse than that. And I think, you know, you can actually, the fact that you can buy episodic content, as in things like the Walking Dead games or mm. things like that, is, is a far different model for something where you're grinding and you're buying gold and you're buying gems. Yeah. And actually, you know, the, the sometimes in-app purchases is not much different to giving someone a, a demo and then ask them to buy the full thing. Um, and I think th there are sensible models there that can work so, perfectly so well. So let's, let's take that on to the next one, which is that original IPEs that are delivered on the App Store. Talking to Nick's point earlier about, you know, that there are these big blockbusters, and Chris was saying, you know, you need to have mega marketing spend to, to really break through. So can, can an original IP sort of break through, um, or do you end up basically putting all your, your love and energy and money into it and very rarely breaking even? Yeah, um, 
that's a, a complex one, and I think I think it's kind of helpful to break it into a few different things. So, so I mean, for a start, like in terms of just you know, can an IP break through? It totally can. You do, you can you can make get it uh, get into the charts without the big marketing spend. Um, it's difficult to stay in the charts without that marketing spend or indeed a, a really strong IP behind it. But an original IP can definitely break into the charts. Um, uh, the, there are the kind of two things that come on from that. Um, First of all, you know, you, there is, you know, there, it's not, you know, there's no kind of guaranteed model for creating that. And so um, the app business nowadays, particularly when it comes to original IPs, is really very much like the music industry. Um, and so, you know, really you've got to be running a multi-title strategy um, in order to, you know, in order to give yourself the chance that one of those 10 apps is going to be the one that breaks through. It's, it's basically that. Then there's a kind of step on from that, which is, you know, I mean, I think it's less complicated when you're running a premium strategy, but if you are running an IAP strategy or even ad-funded strategy, um, you know, there's, or there's also the chance of just cocking it up, <laughs> basically. And, and even if you get that great IP and that great gameplay that makes it through, you can uh, so easily make one stupid mistake, which just breaks the whole thing. So, for example, uh, about two or three months before Crossy Road was released, we released a, a game called Reg the Roadkill, which is sort of not dissimilar in some way. Um, and uh, we we developed it, tested it as we would, and so on. And then when we launched it, for some reason, the advertising didn't work in it. And now, as an entirely ad-funded model, that that's, oh bollocks, you know. So that didn't work, as in just wasn't yeah, just didn't work play. at all. Either there were no ads in okay. the ad-funded game. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so you know, I got millions of sessions. Just totally, know. Uh, you know, the players had a great time, I believe. Did you, did you decide to pull it then? Did you, what, what, what do you do in a situation like that? In that particular case, we just let it run. Um, I mean, you know, we were lucky because that was a very, very fast project. We developed it from start to finish in about six days. Um, so, so it was a, yeah, it was a... Um, roll of the dice and, and we moved on to the next one. But, and I think, you know, to some extent, that's what you have to do. That's why the multi-title strategy is so important. But had that not happened, do you think you'd have been able to compete with Crossy Road? Um, no, I mean, to be fair, Crossy Road is a different proposition. Um, yeah, and, and a very smart one as well, it has to be said. Um, but I think, you know, coming back to the second part of that question, because you have to run that multi-title strategy, it is very difficult for small indie developers to fund that. Um, and you know, I mean, well, I, I would imagine if they had, uh, I wouldn't imagine there's anyone sitting in this room that runs a kind of five to ten person outfit that could afford to actually run that strategy. Basically, I'm going to go on to the next slide, which because it's pertinent that you know you can't get into the top ten. Well, it's very hard to get into the top 10 without a huge marketing spend. It does feel that sort of apps have gone the same way of AAA games, which has gone the same way of, the, of, of movies, that you know, you're almost spending as much on your marketing strategy mm. as on your build. Um, is, that, is that true? Is, is it now? Do you have to? I, I, I think there's a, there's, a, there's a visibility problem in the app store. There's so, many, there's so much choice, there's so much clutter. So how do you rise above that? And it's not necessarily about a huge marketing spend. 
it's about, you know, I always think that we primarily E1 are a, are a um, we're a brand manager and we're a distributor. Um, Peppa Pig is created by Ashley Baker Davies. They're amazing at the creative, so we let them get on with the creative. But once a creative producer places product in the store, the, the, the job starts almost. You need to follow the normal brand management and distribution principles to cut through that clutter and get to the visibility. That's not necessarily a huge marketing budget, although some people will spend a huge marketing budget on it. It's about doing the basics right. It's about kind of it's about understanding that the consumer, if they find your app in the store, you've probably got a five or ten second window to convince them to buy it. So the thumbnails have to be great, the videos have to be great, the write-up has to be great. You have to monitor the reviews, so on and so forth. So it's about getting a series of small things right first off, and then you have to consider marketing. And is it marketing dollars? Is it above the line? Is it PR? So on and so forth. So I, I think it, it's kind of overly simplistic to say that you need huge marketing dollars to, to actually cut through that visibility. But it, it's, it's definitely something that creatives and creators need to do and absolutely can do is to kind of follow normal distribution and brand management models to actually try and rise their, their mm. properties above. And, and that's why well-known television properties seem mm. to do so well, because you've already got that recognition well, you've already in that five-second... You know, you've already spent your, your marketing getting yeah. it on TV. Yeah. Mm. So, Darren, t talk about what you do at Popagami, because we haven't... Yeah, so um, I'm an independent creative director and consultant working with um, games and animation firms, but previous to that, I ran a company called Little Loud for 13 years as co-founder and creative director and we uh, worked with broadcasters and um, film companies making games and animation uh, and we closed that in about 2012. And you did, you did a mixture of working with those organisations on sort of what we call more digital first stuff, sort of innovative stuff, but also supporting their big brands. That's right, yeah, it was a mix of kind of uh, sort of support for TV programs and film, uh, producing you know stuff for public service broadcasters and stuff for marketing, but we also worked as a kind of production company, pitching our own ideas and pitching our own ideas to uh, broadcasters, trying to get those kind of made as well. So it was a kind of mix of our own IP and working on other. And have you seen the ability to cut through become harder over the years because of you know? App store fatigue, and um, you know, looking at everywhere there's there's a property vying with you, whereas before you might have been able to garner attention through. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I guess you know, having done it, being long in the tooth as I am, yeah, you've seen that change because you know the, I think the the initial attitude towards the app store was like this is amazing, you know, it's like you can set up your market store and get there and you can get visibility, um, and now. It's like you said, it's become a lot more like marketing to play games, especially, you know, if you're spending big on it because it is so hard to get attention. Um, but I think that, you know, a lot of our projects were um, quite different and they were tied into property. So that always helps. You know, you've got your IP and they're trying to launch our own ideas. We had to invest quite a lot of time in trying to get the idea out there and getting attention. And thinking about it in terms of attention is the way to sort of do it. Why are people going to be interested in this idea and what's your story, basically? And I think that's a key thing to think about when you are pushing something out there, you know. How do you talk about it? How do you let people know about it? What's interesting about it? And thinking about the audience and how you can attract them and thinking about all those things. And I think it's interesting, we were just chatting before this, that we said, you know, that that 
you know, we're thinking about marketing spend, but spend can be time. And, you know, if you... Um, I think I've read somewhere that 70% of uh, indie game developers only spend, like, $100 on marketing. But then also there's 70% of apps are downloaded less than 5,000 times, so you do the kind of kind of maths. And, it, and and the way they put it is it's not necessarily money, you're not spending on advertising, it's the grind of kind of putting that work in and that yeah. effort in and keeping keeping pushing it along. When the, like, you know, when, when it's launched, when it's out there, that's, like you say, it's, the, it's the kind of the start of the job. So, Chris, you talked about sort of having a portfolio and, that, and, and again, I guess you're doing the same at yeah. E1. Hopster is that portfolio approach. Well, yeah, kind of. So for me, the question is quite interesting. Well, the, the statement's interesting because what, what is the top ten? So we are, if I get this right, we're in kids under five entertainment. And we're, we're in the top ten all the time. We sometimes reach number one. And no, we don't get $70,000 a day. And I'm not selling myself um, on a beach, clearly. Um, <laughs> so I just wanted to say some, some things about um, the like app store optimization. We have... Um, a really, really great head of marketing um, at Hopster, and we don't have massive budgets, but I mean, we A/B test our icons. We like discuss our icons like every, every kind of couple of weeks. We revisit them. Like the, the amount of discussion we have about our screenshots, and we we are kind of on the border. We're, we're a hybrid of both original IP and um, known IP because we have our own characters in our own world, but within that, we've got we've got Ben and Holly, and we've got Thomas. So really trying to make that balance within our screen in, in our app store screen grabs and the amount of conversation we have internally about what is the very first screen grab you see then what comes next and it, we're trying to like really hone that process and it, I, my advice would be not to just chuck some text up and just chuck some um, keywords in it's really think about really 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 do think about what it is you're trying to do and then uh, in terms of actual marketing I mean, we haven't done a TV ad yet, and we're thinking about doing it. But what we do is some really hardcore targeting on Facebook, and it, like it, with Facebook, you can really, really drill down into the audience you want. So we're like mothers or fathers, 30 to 32, outside of the M25, who like golf, who go and do this thing on a Saturday. Right, bang, this is the ad for you. And then within those ads, we have so many different um, uh, uh, creative pathways and then we show different pathways to different users and again it's not money it's the time and it's the time and the willingness to it's not the willingness but the understanding that that's the kind of work that needs to be done mm. to keep you afloat and keep you um in the top 10 and it's the willingness to iterate as well yeah, to recognize to. that you once you've done it you have to keep checking and coming back and analyze and then improve and analyze again and improve uh, and how much does a master brand help that. I mean, think of Tokoboka now. Yeah. Tokoboka is probably one of the breakthrough, what I call a master brand mm -hmm. in terms of, you would look at it as a kite mark of assurance sure. before you know what even their latest game is. Yeah, you just buy There it aren't many like that. No. How, how important is that, do you think, to start sort of creating you know, subcategories of your own, you know, brand categories? Well, I, if, it was, if I was a Tokoboka, if I were a Tokoboka, I think they, they do, they they're doing it exactly right, aren't they? They do a lot of cross-promotion within their apps mm. as well. So you open an app and it tells you... Um, and I, actually, it's quite funny because I did notice on their Twitter comments recently someone having a go at them for that, actually announcing an app within their app, which is, I mean, like, I mean you, you, can't, you, you, know, you have to do that. You have to do that. Um, but again, it's hard. And I, a friend of mine has a micro studio. He calls it. It's just him. 
and he um, he has he has quite he's got he's got three apps out in the app store and he's now just really trying to work hard to get apps out quickly and cross promote them so where he's constantly playing with his business model so an app might be out for two pounds and he's releasing a, a free one just to cross promote making sure it's hitting key times in in the in the world's calendar for example he's doing something um for the fourth of july and, and and fireworks night those kind of things like hitting it's quite i feel like it's as a creator it's like oh i don't want to like work to that that kind of um template but actually being a bit thoughtful about what's happening in the world and trying to tie your thing into mm. that and you know there are loads of things that can give you a bit of a push so it's designing around attention patterns yeah and looking at a calendar to yeah to do that yeah and search terms as well. Yeah. I mean, Tokaboka is great because you just type in Tokaboka into iTunes, uh, the App Store, which is how most people find their apps, mm. and then all the Tokaboka right. apps appear. And, that, and I think that's the, I think that's the important thing. If, if you're a, if you have limited budgets, then creating an IP or creating a range of games across that IP, which can, which will enable you to get the name of the IP known, not necessarily the game, and then someone just searches for that name. And your five games appear. I think that's a really if, if you kind of if you're starting off small, that's a really important lesson. Doing five separate different pieces of IP, I, I think, is tough. I think having getting a, a winning IP, you can look at a Dr. Panda as well on the preschool school store, Tokaboka, Grandma as well, Grandma and Grandpa. Again, it's 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 strong IP and a number of games related to that IP. So once the parents trust the IP, then they're more likely to buy the second and third games. That's what you know, talking Tom and exactly, talking yeah. Angela and talking whoever next is, you know, they're doing exactly mm. that same thing, yep. aren't they? And they do a lot of this in app yeah. cross-promotion yeah. and, you know. Um, when we're talking about app stores, last one on the sort of the app, app market, when we're talking about app stores, are we talking primarily about Apple because that's where people spend more money? Or... You know, there are lots of app stores, and so, you know, a lot of people making money now out of doing porting Unity onto Xbox. Um, but is it primarily in the kids' space? Are we talking Apple as being the, the, the money driver? Well, we are currently only on iOS, so um, we've launched a really small beta of Hopster in Ireland only last week to test the market. But I've heard on what on Android on Android, yeah, yeah. but. Um, I've heard it's it, it's 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 a different it's a different world in, in Android, put it mildly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean for us, um, we monetize a huge amount better on iOS. So I, uh, for us, iOS customers are much more likely to want to pay up front for apps. Um, we probably get more downloads, uh, free downloads on Android, but actually we get more paying downloads mm -hmm. on iOS. But we are, you know, our strategy to date has focused on um, iOS strong markets like. Uh, the UK and the US and kind of strong Android markets like I guess Japan Germany is, is the next step for us but at the moment it, iOS definitely monetizes better. Let's move on because we could be on app stores all day um, so this we're now sort of moving into the world which I think m most of you have done worked in at some point or other which is about um, working with traditional broadcasters around digital you know what's been called digital first commissions but trying to you know, follow the trends of broadcasters wanting to be in the digital space. Uh, and different broadcasters sort of at different places in this. But are digital first commissions from broadcasters really just a way of making the content cheaper for less money than it takes to make a TV show? And, you know, if you get one, it's really just being used as a little bit of a, a testing the water with that IP? Or is there a 
digital thing first in its own right, which could actually, you know, are being invested in properly and have a chance of success. Probably you're, you've been around most of the broadcasters at some point or other working on... on I've been around, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go on, Darren. Um, well, I'm going I'm to go on the optimistic side and I say I don't think most commissioners go out there thinking this is a way to get something cheap. I don't think they do. I think um, there are real tangible benefits to these sort of digital first commissions and, and most of the time they are a way to sort of test the water and sort of with an IP or with an idea that sort of bypasses that sort of real long tail uh, production um, development things that TV companies have, which I, you know, if they're running a digital company, I'd look at how long a TV programme takes to get launched and how long that development schedule is and just couldn't quite comprehend how it takes that long and how you survive that long to make it happen. So there is a definite benefit where you could get an idea uh, up there and, and tie it and also get tangible benefits back from like data and, you know, uh, so understanding more, more the agile in it. a way because you've got much more agile and you've also got the feedback exactly you've got feedback from it but then you do I think audience expectation now I mean when that started off maybe expectation for online stuff was maybe slightly lower and that could be there was a novelty and the novelty and like technically but now you can get 1080p on your on your phone so the, I think people's not just like production values in terms of development but in terms of storytelling the expectations online are probably exactly the same as they are in, on television. People really expect to see the same level of quality, and also you've got the added sort of costs there if you're, you know, if you're introducing interactive or technical elements into what you're doing on online. Um, so, I think you really can't produce that stuff cheaper than you can do for telly. Probably costs that a little bit more, but I think. There are advantages as well in terms of um, time because, you know, uh, when you're on TV, there's certain time slots and there's certain, you know, lengths of programme, whereas online you've got different platforms to think about and you've got different lengths of programmes to think about. So you can really fit, you play with those kind of elements as well. So, so that, the quality thing I think is really interesting because, you know, expectations are going higher. Yeah. And I wonder, I, you know, I'm sure you're right that no one goes out into it thinking this is a way to get a really good IP for cheap. But are expectations, are people deluded in terms of thinking, oh, here's 20 grand and we'll have a, a monument valley? Or, you know, um, Chris, you, you know, when you were doing your service work, is there a sort of, you know, you have to do the reality check that if you're only going to spend this amount, yeah. you're not going to get that thing that you sort of put in your strategy document, which says you're going to take over the world in two years' time. Yeah, um, oh, the, I always I always struggle uh, struggle with these questions because for me it's really simple. It's like you know, basically, uh, quality is a combination of scope and budget, right? Yep. <laughs> right? And and so you just essentially just have to balance the scope to the budget, right? Um, and so, um, how often have you gone into a meeting where the scope did not match the budget? Oh yeah, often and and uh, not very often where the budget was higher than the scope. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Sure, yeah. that's um, where your lies really light up. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but no, I mean, so so I mean, I've seen well, you know, we uh, the biggest thing we worked on in our Kemp days was um, we did a series of games for Red Bull, which had um, each one was a quarter of a million pound uh, project. 
Um, and they were massive and they took a long time to develop and they were very high quality and we spent... Um, Sorry, I've just pulled up a slide. You have to spend <laughs> 250 right. exactly the same number to get a decent um, digital project made. Yeah, yeah well, uh, and, and, you know, and I think this was a point I would, uh, I would like to come back to one of the earlier questions. You know, I think the part of quality is actually also just making sure it works, right? Yeah. And that sounds really f obvious. But, um, but I mean, one of the big things we did with the Cartfighter series was, you know, test on, you know, platforms down to the Galaxy S2 and make sure that the experience was good and consistent all the way through. Um, uh, but you don't necessarily have to, to do that to have a valid project, you know. So, I mean, you know, to use a really obvious example, Flappy Bird was a very successful thing, which uh, I'm sure most people in this room, when they first saw it, God, that looks crap. But it's not crap. It's actually a really good piece of content because it fulfills what it needed to do. The, the, it, its scope was perfectly matched to the resources that were able, able to develop it. Um, so so I, I think it's overly simplistic. Um, and I think that you know, what, what we need to kind of collectively be doing is, is creating strategies that match you know, our ambitions um, and, our, and our pockets. So, Charlotte, you're in an interesting world in Hopster because you're now making games around other people's IP as yeah. part of the mix. And do you yeah. have that sort of, not necessarily on a financial thing because you, that's coming out of your budget, mm -hmm. but a sort of a creative, oh, I was expecting it to be more like... Yeah, so but, but for Hopster, I, I've kind of, kind of, I kind of, kind of, I've made a framework, a framework of interactivity that I'd like to see that means we can slot in different IP. So it's not like I don't make a Ben and Holly game. I would, uh, I use the tools I have and then incorporate Ben and Holly into that. So I've made like a really basic creative um, tool where people can paint and draw and stuff. And what I've done is is bring the IP in in a different way. So maybe one day you can trace around an asset, you can colour it in, you can stickers. So I mean that's a really small example. But to go to to to, to answer this point about 250k, it's really, it really makes me laugh because I used to work at the Tate Gallery. I started something called Tate Kids um, in 2008 or seven or eight, um, and I was so naive when I joined Tate. I came from an agency who made educational communication material. And I was like, oh, you know, if I get there, and it was 250K, I was like, if my budget's 250K, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be fine, I'll cope, I'll deal with it. And I got there and they were like, yeah, your budget's 20 grand a year. Um, so I was like, okay. Um, so it was really tricky to, it was really tricky to get things done, but Chris is exactly right. As long as the scope is fair and decent and you're not trying to, ch you know, you're not trying to uh, make a, a Monument Valley on a, on a five game budget there are things that you can do but I think it's, what's really important is the education around what it means for what what you get for your budget at the commissioning end so I would I, I mean I was I've always worked in digital so I, I was quite clear about what we could achieve but you know you take it out to your your colleagues and they're like no you want guns in it you know you want more you know we can't do it we just can't do it and also it's really important for me with um with with budget of a twenty with twenty grand a year was not to exploit uh, the um, the companies that would want to come and work for us because when you're Tate you could say to somebody you know make me something for free and they will make you something for free and it was you know that wasn't I didn't want to start start that at all so I made a major conscious effort to never spend under fifteen grand on anything because. Um, 
because I'm just so nice. But um, <laughs> but it was really it was really hard. So what I had to do at Taylor actually was go out and get additional funding and like basically just beg people to help me. But not I, it's very, for, for me. I didn't want to you know drive the price down to the bottom and make it. Well, you know we'll take it. You know. Yeah. So, pay so, us, so. so one of the sort of trends which is starting to emerge is a lot of you know probably spreading the risk, mm. where studios are getting a slice of slice of an IP. I know if Will was here, he'd be talking about you know some of the things he's doing is he, where he's actually taking, going into the likes of an ITV company, uh, an ITV game show, and saying look we'll make that, but we want to take a revenue. That's yeah. how you do some of your stuff. Do you do it on at E1, or do you commission everything outright? You've done a mixture of both in the past, haven't you? Yeah, we've done a mixture in both. But I, th I think as um, I think we, you know, the strategy going forward is to commission ourselves um, because you know the, the the gap between consumption of episodic content and, and app content is narrowing. So it, it's a space we kind of have to control as well as controlling the episodic content. I think. Um, I think there's a there's a there's a knowledge gap among the broadcast and distribution community of how much an app actually costs, mm -hmm. and I think that feeds the the issue the, the the scope versus budget argument, because in you know in TV you have ten ten years of knowledge built up kind of knowledge of what twenty fifty two elevens costs and kind of what this process costs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But you don't have that in the app space. So you have um, for my sins, I'm the finance director as well. Uh, uh, e family, so I'll say, yeah, 50 grand. I look at the overall budget, that's a decent number. Go and see what you can get for that. Yeah, I don't know necessarily without having two or three years of experience that 50 grand you don't get much for that, or actually, you do get as much as you want for that. And you kind of take the you scope it out with you know five, uh, three or four companies, and the quotes you get are very different. And it's very different as a non technician to unpack the differences between those quotes. So it feels that it feels like that kind of the and it play, comes back to the digital first argument as well is that a digital first strategy works if you can a if you can invest enough money and b if you can cut through so and digital first is different tv first is better because the uh, the producer or the distributor who's taking the risk on that kind of lowers the risk because they've got a product that they can sell to TV channels. Whereas if you go digital first and it just dies in the app store, then you're, you're not going to make yeah, any of that deficit back. Part of getting the TV commission is a distribution yeah. strategy. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. exactly. The interesting thing you said about the knowledge gap, mm. you know, one of the constant criticisms I hear from small agencies and studios is that they're all being expected to go a lot further in a sort of a pitch. You know, so if you were doing a television pitch, Yes, you put time and effort into it, mm. refining your characters. You probably don't have to do much in, you know, that much in terms of creating the full story arc of every episode. You know, you've got enough of a Bible to mm. go around and pitch. But often, when you're pitching something digital, people expect you know, they can't get it unless you've given them a full prototype, and they're eighty percent the way down to making the app. And you've got four companies mm. all running for the same fifteen k. That sort of a lot of people going, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Is that yeah. if you sort of come up against that, you sort of go, can we really afford to do the piece of the preliminary piece of work to secure the bid? Um, well, I mean, I think um, you know part of your overhead as, a, as that kind of is, is your you know pitching. Yeah. Um, and I can think of you know I think this, it works in different companies. I, I, Channel Four are pretty good in terms of they would give you they get you to a certain point and give you a development budget. Um, so you get a chance to sort of push that idea. Um, I'd never believe in really making any like prototypes for a pitch. I just don't, it's just, the overheads are just f f 
phenomenal. It's, it's you know, the overhead of just putting a pitch together with creative work and the ideas and the just, you know, this is the thing that costs time thinking. Actually, just yeah. developing ideas takes a lot of time, um, and you know, it it can be really, really expensive putting those together. And you know, you, the effort that you put into it, it sort of ties into the desire for what how much you want that work or need to get that mm. kind of work. But yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't, totally don't believe in that kind of prototyping thing. I mean, we did. We did. Is it, it, is it a buyer's market or is it the studio's market? The well, I, I think it comes down to trust, and I think a lot of that comes down to the relationship you have with the people that commission their work. You know, I think I can think of you know two jobs I did for Channel Four, and the first one was Bow Street Runner, and when we kind of said we wanted to make this idea, and it was live action video, and it was CG, and it was a kind of point and click adventure game. They wanted us to make a kind of prototype of how that worked, and they paid a dev budget for that. Um, and we did a really sort of really quick, lo-fi, dirty kind of proof of concept piece of work, and that that was paid for, and that enabled the whole thing to proceed and go forward. The next time round, we proposed a, a similar idea using the same sort of like kind of actors and, and adventure game, and they knew that we could do that, so we could use that dev budget then to actually just selling the story and, the, and the, the idea of what we wanted to do, which we pay, produced a kind of three-minute animated infographic piece that told the story of the world that we were going to create. But we couldn't have done that process probably the first time around because we didn't have that trust that we could yeah. do yeah. what we were saying so we were going to do. It is an ongoing relationship. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. And then if, if you're a small agency, how do you even get your foot in the door to like maintain that kind of relationship with a broadcaster? Mm. So, I mean, I was... There. Because if you're in a sort of an advertising agency, you'd have account yeah, managers like, whose job it is just I mean, to do that. Some people, when I when I was doing Take Kids for example, some people said I can't, I'm not doing you any graphics. I'm not, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not, I can't do it. If you, know, you have to pay, and I was like, you know, I understand that. Um, but you know, if you're a slightly bigger agency, yeah, you can afford to give someone a two yeah. days or three days off to put together some graphics for you. But what if you're trying to get your foot through the door with a really good concept and you can't? You just don't have. I've seen some really, resources yeah. there. But I've seen a really good. I've seen some really good proposals where people just like, I'm just not giving you the idea right now, but mm. I'll do this. We'll have a bit of a session and on and on and I'm <laughs> like, ooh, I quite like that actually. Okay, so hold that. Hold that thought. I'm going to come back to all of you once we've had a few questions. Uh-huh. I want you to think about what. Yeah, if if this is all changing ground, moving ground, what are in your view, what are the business models which make it all stack up? So while you're thinking about oh that, let's gosh. get some questions from the audience. Um, going back to the point you were making, Shana, earlier about um, ASO and, and uh, the kind of data-driven approach, yeah. I was wondering whether you could give us insights on what's worked really well for Hopster and what hasn't worked well. Um, so we like we have a main character who's called Fluster, and he's like an orange fluffy ball. Um, <laughs> and uh, we... Uh, <laughs> With a little propeller, so yeah, I was yeah, I wasn't smoking crack when I designed it. I, I, I promise. At that point, uh, yeah, um, but we really uh, work on in in the icons for the app store how how zoomed in we are into his face because we are we are told that uh, children really like eyes and he's got really tiny small black eyes and we're like oh my god do I need to redesign him? No, we're not mm. doing that. But we started off with him super fast. You can see his propeller and you can see a bit of the world behind. And then we've moved it a bit closer so you can't see his propeller but he's smiling. And now we, we've got it's just like a crop of his face. And then we noticed actually within Kids App that was a bit of a trend. If you looked at our competitors at Play Kids and Toco, they all kind of had this face thing. So we're like, okay, maybe we're on the right path. And then we look at our um, our, um, our screen grabs and we talk about do we want captions on the screen grabs? Now we're in other territories. How much localization do we want to put on the screen grabs if the content we're offering is not in that language yet? 
oh, I don't know, oh, stress. And then so we, um, we like, for our screen grabs, we, like, we really do think about how do we explain what it is Hopster is over, over the five chances we've got to, to impress people. So we start with um, a picture of Ben and Holly. Thanks, Nick. Um, and then we go into our tree, and then we talk about our games, and then we show kids using the app, and then we talk about like what parents can do. But we really think about like kind of every um, who's using it, why they might be using it, and then trying to encompass that in the screen grab. Can I just pick up? You talked about A/B testing. Are you A/B testing from one release to the next, or are you actually running parallel releases? All the all, so we we're, we're A/B testing um, icons. Um, yeah, between yeah, I'm like yeah. Yeah, <laughs> all the time, basically. But, but you're not you're not running with two at the no, same no, time. No, 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 no. Because that's quite hard to do. I think. How do you no, do yeah, that? no, no, no. So we are. I think what we've. I'll need to. I'll need to double check the, the mechanics of it because I don't run the marketing bit. But we've we've got all of our icons and we are putting them out to people to see. Because you talked about getting the artwork all correct. Yeah. Um, you know, it, do you have any sense if you were to look at a heat map of what actual when real customers when mm. they come to the app stores and what they look for. You know, there's a lot of, you know, I don't know, anyone who filled in a, one of the metadata forms. There's a lot of different bits that you can fill in in those forms. Yeah. Do you have a sense of, actually, if you're going to put your money one place, what is it? Is it the icon? Is it the screenshots? Is there a killer? Or is it the, you know, the name of the app? What counts most? I think you've got to do all of it. Yeah. Right? I don't think there's it's a... Like your category. You're not allowed to believe anything. Yeah. <laughs> you've got to put the I mean, you know, it's about being really smart with your copy really thinking through all the things yeah. that Sean really has discussed. Not, like, we've, like we've all said, it's not enough to just put it on the App Store and just think, oh yeah, we're fine. I just, I've got a nice icon. It literally is like, think about the category, like really think about the category, mm. think about the keywords. And what people do with keywords sometimes is, is cheat. And um, like if you've got kids out they put like, yeah, toka boka, for yeah, your no, keywords, are you come up right. and then, you know, people are, there is an editorial process now where you get, you know, you, that, you get in trouble for that. So I wouldn't recommend Dot doing that. Spotters, yeah. Yeah, and we don't do that. But yeah, like, looking at the tone of the way you write your app store descriptions. I mean, they, I think it was, it's not a kid's app at all, it's a productivity app called Trello. They had an update the other day, and I just, I never read app store descriptions, but I, I read it for some reason, and it was just this story about, oh, I was in Spain, and then I decided, like, this, they, they made, like, a persona for their, for their board, and mm. it was, like, cracked out weirdness, but it was so good. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna, I will get it this time. So I think there is quite an art. And it, obviously, it depends on who your, what your brand is and what makes sense for your yeah. brand, but making sure that everything feels consistent and holistic is a really good way of doing it and then putting the effort into doing that. And they've thought about how they're going to tell their story and that's the, what the approach that they've yeah, got. Yeah. Which could, it could be quite dry with yeah, something like Jello, couldn't it? Yeah, yeah. totally. I was going to say, it's about not working in a vacuum as well. You know, speak to people, do research, look at what other people are doing. In terms of everything, a lot of what we've learned came, comes from conversations with hopsters. So... You know, it's, it's, about, it's about kind of talking to people in the business. Um, you know, at the end of the day, although to a certain extent we are competing, we're all trying to do the same thing. And it's, you know, I think it, in all businesses, you can share knowledge to a certain extent and share kind of share experiences. And that really helps. And kind of coming to places like this and talking about approaches <coughs> is, is a good thing. More questions? Can I just say, I think you're great. You've answered a whole bunch of questions already that I don't need to ask anymore because oh. you've already answered them. Oh, um, but you were talking earlier on, I think yeah. on, it was a, it was mentioned um, amongst everybody, um, Monument Valley. Yeah. Um, I was playing that on the train up, up no, down down here. Um, and I just wanted to know your, your opinions on that, um, on that game because um, I'm, I'm a creator 
um, digital designer and illustrator so I'm a bit alienated from the marketing sense of things mm-hmm. trying to learn as much as I can but um, to me uh, visually that's all I cared about with I we all learned about this game and it was it just looked so different to everything else and in my little circle mm-hmm. we all loved it I'm but I don't know how was that perceived does, does anyone know really like globally was it was it a big player because we all thought it was fantastic, mm. but I know it looks stylistically different. And you said earlier, you know, put some guns in it. Yeah. You know, it's 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 a gentle, like, quiet game. Mm. So I'm mm. interested how that became so successful. So I think with Monument Valley, those has been designed by a company called Us2. And Us2 are quite, um, they're open about um, the development of that game. And I think if you go on their website or you, if you search, do a bit of Googling on it, they've actually... Um, got a case study about how much money it has made um i can't it's made millions but i couldn't tell you how much and i think it was i think it seemed quite low it was quite low but i think we spent quite a lot of marketing yeah yeah, and they won like app store (laughs) best app of of 2014 and that's something we haven't really touched on here is apple support and having support yeah having support from apple really does help so we've like hops have been featured in um we've been featured in um the app store in the uk like a number of times and we really work hard on our relationship with apple and 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 like to show them what we've been doing and because we are helping them sell their devices as well as much as they're helping us um you know it's an ecosystem but in terms of monument valley i think monument valley is great and the design is lovely and i think that's what helps it i mean apple wouldn't have supported it if it was shit so if if it looks nice and it's true and and it works well and it plays lovely then it will get the attention of of the powers that be, our fruity overlords. I think, uh, <laughs> yeah, just yeah. But us two do have a very interesting sort of creative-led design yeah. culture. I don't know whether that came out of a sort of like a twenty percent project, but they they yeah. they have a very good yeah. culture, don't yeah. they? Yeah. And yeah. what's interesting about us two is that if you ever, everyone saw the Sky announcement, that yeah. they're now working with Sky on like the new hop star. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah, well, um, uh, well, so in terms of how uh, Mon uh, Valley was perceived in the wider industry, I, I think it was perceived very well. Um, but I think one, one key point I'd like to make about its development is that that wasn't the first thing that us yeah. two had done. And, and they had worked consistently on a series of titles, which, um, I th- well, many of which didn't do that well. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, one, one of the things the guys at us two are astoundingly good at is um, PR. Yeah. Um, uh, and so, you know, kind of, again, coming back to the kind of spending lots of money on marketing, you know, they put a lot of effort into their marketing and... But they, they were also consolidating all of their crash and burns yeah. previously, weren't they, presumably? Yeah, in, and, in and sorry, but the, the point being, they're leveraging, they're leveraging every element of what they do. Yeah. So, so when, when a project doesn't go that well, they're using that actually as a PR asset to build, uh, to feed yeah. into the story. And so I think, you know, the, the key thing really is that you can be very efficient like that and you can, you can, you know, yeah, all this stuff about optimizing your icons and so on, it's about looking at the life cycle of the, or the entire ecosystem of that project yeah. and working out which bits you can leverage and use, not just spending loads of money on user acquisition. We'll get one question in there, and then I'm going to come back to you for your, your new business models. If um, Candy Crush is making £70 million pounds a day, was it, or £70 million downloads a day? Dollars, I think. Dollars. Yeah. Do they need to be on 
TV? Do they need to be on the sides of buses and do they need to be wrapping around taxis as they're currently doing? Is it, you know, yeah. are these forms of traditional advertising media broadly redundant for something that's already a massive success story? Uh, so Candy Crush, you know, is, is the easiest way to understand titles like that is that they are kind of essentially businesses in their own right and so they're, they're basically a supermarket, they're getting trying to get customers through the front door, monetize them while they're in there by putting different stuff on different shelves as, you, as the customers walk around and then invariably those customers will exit so they need to get some more customers through the door. And so, yeah, they do totally need to be spending that kind of money. It's about sustaining the, the ongoing, yeah. or reducing the churn. And but cru crucially, what they're trying to do is make sure that their user acquisition costs are not more than their revenue or average revenue per, revenue per user, which on the kind of classic free-to-play model is possible. You know, you can... Yeah. You know, maybe their average revenue per user might be you know, $10 per, per user. Uh, the vast majority of that coming from a very small proportion of players who are spending ludicrous amounts. Um, and yeah, but they're just playing that numbers game of just making sure enough people come through the door and to, to get the average right across the board. So Nick, going, we'll go down the line. In terms of how do you get stuff funded in the future? If commission, traditional broadcasters aren't putting that much money into this stuff, mm. in-app purchase doesn't, can't guarantee you a lot of money, what's the best way to, to, to get your IP up there and out? I think it's, it's difficult to ask because it's such a general question. I think you have to identify what the IP is and what, what you want to do with that IP. Is it, is it something that you want to be digital first and then move into TV? Or is it something that's just going to exist digitally? Um, what's the target market for that IP? So you really have to identify who you want to buy that IP and then fit the business model according to how to kind of how to transact with that group. And how they're going to pay, what exactly. they're prepared to pay. Exactly. So, I mean, Candy Crush, you know, it's, it's, you described it very well. It's a supermarket. These are mega brands that are consumed by everyone from the age of five to, to 90. So... You know, and it, you, you, one shouldn't go out to create that necessarily because there's going to be people with a lot more money competing with you to do that. So in the way that we, you know, any IP creator from the TV space, you create a very kind of tight piece of IP with a tight target audience. It's very, you know, it's very, you know, can you do the elevator pitch for that IP? And then you fit the business model around that. And for me, if it's preschool, then it's kind of prepaid. And, and you develop a brand of a series of a series of games based on the IP. If it's older than preschool, then ask these guys. <laughs> <laughs> Just on, on last one with your sort of clout to the one. Yeah. Are partnerships important in that sort of you know if you are launching something, knowing that it's going to be at a point of sale in the supermarket at the same time, or that it's going to coincide with something at Alton Towers? Is that part of your thinking now do you sort of do the whole yeah you definitely yeah we we would we would look at leveraging other um marketing opportunities when we release apps so um you've inadvertently given me a chance to advertise our next app so um we've got uh, an app called golden boots coming out on the 20th of july it's going to be on tv around then there's going to be a dvd release following so you know we're leveraging a lot of different kind of marketing opportunities and hopefully kind of advertising you know marketing the idea of the golden boots and how you can kind of buy that app 
and watch the sh watch it on TV and, and buy the DVD. Brilliant, nice plug, Chris. Yeah, just go down go down the line, Chris. How are you going to make money? Well, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, we we, um, we make most of our money unashamedly by making stuff for other people, um, and yeah, and we but we're still uh, plugging away at the IP stuff along the side. Darren, just keeping going. Keep your head above water. Keep your going. Shana? I don't know, actually. I think if, you, if I was an independent with my own IP now, I'd be quite interested in looking at sponsorship, but sensible sponsorship. So if you're doing something that's, you know, for kids and it's about food, like, could you go and approach a nice supermarket? Could you go and approach Innocent Smoothies? Could you try and work it like that? Maybe that's the way smaller indies can so the sort do of collaboration things. collaboration with, yeah, like with brands yeah. rather than broadcasters. Great. We are about to be kicked out, even though the air conditioning is good in here. <laughs> uh, thank you for your questions and your time. I'd like to thank Donna, Darren, Chris and Nick. Uh, they'll be outside, so if you have any burning questions that didn't get answered, do nobble them on the way out. Cheers. <laughs>